Let us pray. Be our vision, O oh God. Be our vision. Fill our horizons. With your love and your holiness, make us new. We love you, Lord, and we give you praise. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, we're in the fifth chapter of Ephesians in our summer series in Paul's letter to the early church. From Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. The Old New International Version has this translated, be imitators, be imitators of God. So that's another way of translating the Greek here. The word in Greek is actually mimetai, which sounds like mime or mimic, right? I don't know if you played... As a kid, if you played characters you saw in movies, I did it. I was Han Solo a lot as a kid. I had the dialogue down from Star Wars. I had my friends over. We would play Star Wars. I remember being Hannibal from the A-Team. Remember George Papard as Hannibal? His, spe his speeches, some of his, some of his humor down. I remember, remember sharing that. Or Buck Rogers 
Gil Gerard, that late, that brief series on NBC. Gil Gerard, the actor from Arkansas, bringing a warm masculinity to the role of Buck. I loved imitating these heroes as a kid. Growing up, playing roles. I think that's a key part of growing up. I think the same can be said spiritually. Follow God's example. God's the hero of the biblical story. Just as imitation at play is part of children growing up in general, at the heart of growing up spiritually, we find imitation as well. But there is one huge difference. As a kid, I had no actual connection with Han Solo. I didn't know Buck. I didn't know Hannibal from 18. In fact, these guys were works of fiction. But with the biblical God, this is no fiction. And more than that, with the biblical God, with our Heavenly Father, we are family. We're fam. As scholar Clyde Snodgrass puts it, the second half of verse 1 shows why the command to imitate God is legit. The readers, wait for it, are God's children, God's kids whom he loves. And this is a theme in Ephesians. We've heard this already, Ephesians 1, 5, 4 and 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.19, you were no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household. Snodgrass concludes, a person takes the characteristics of the family to which he or she belongs. A person takes the characteristics of the family to which he or she belongs. Since Paul's readers belong to God's family, and as his children have received love, that means we have the love to give. We have all we need to imitate. We have the role, we have the part, and it's not fiction, it's true. It's true. We are his, and so we're called to be like him. Now, it's been pointed out in scholarship that this verse is actually the one and only time in the whole New Testament that Paul calls us to imitate God. It's a big moment. Lest we think that being God means, you know, being God of the TV remote or God of the project that we're going to try to control by, by pushing people around or God of the household that tries to control your kids, good luck with that, or God of your marriage, that's not what this is about. This is not about control, and we know that very quickly because Paul quickly qualifies. He says, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. So imitation of God very quickly comes down to Jesus Christ. In his character. And then what did he do? What did this Jesus whom we're called to walk in the way of do? He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So this is not a bossy love. 
This is a sacrificial love. This is giving away the remote. <laughs> Your call. You are. This is giving up the last piece of cheesecake. This is letting go of control and realizing it's not transformation by control, but that's going on here. This is transformation through sacrificial love. This goes back in the language here to the Old Testament. Paul is building off of the entire Old Testament sacrificial system. You know, it's said mistakenly that the Old Testament, uh, God is a God of works or a God of wrath. And the New Testament, God is a God of grace and um, love. And that's a false statement. There is grace in the Old Testament. We're going to see there's wrath in the New Testament too coming up in a second. But the grace of the Old Testament was people were sinful. God was holy, is holy. So God gives this sacrificial system to his people so they could draw near to God. And there was a system of sacrifices that were these fragrant offerings to God by which a sinful people could draw near to a holy God. That was an act of grace on God's part to provide that system for his people. The only way they could approach God was if their sin was atoned for. So God made a way through this extensive sacrificial system for that to happen. The God who has a history of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament now calls us having seen that system come to its sacrifice in the sacri- come to its climax in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ once and for all the only sacrifice ever needed anymore for any of us that have been close to God Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice the lamb of God who takes with the sin of the world once and done now under Jesus as our sacrifice we are then called to love sacrificially not to earn God's love but to share the sacrificial love that God gave us as his children. Not to earn God's love, but to share the sacrificial love that God gave us. And that's at the heart of imitating God in the imitatio Christi, the imitation of Christ, which is sacrificial love, sharing your love, giving. Verse 2, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering. So in the same way that Jesus does, Paul takes the Christian ethic to the highest level. Notice, this is we're not told to love as we want to be loved. We're not told merely to follow the Ten Commandments. All those things are true in the background. But we are told to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved. Giving, giving up, serving, putting others first, laying down our lives just as Christ did. This is the overall picture Paul is working with positively. But as you heard in the passage, he pivots very quickly from this positive focus to some dire warnings about what not to do. And it really focuses on sex, greed, money, and language. Verse 3, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual morality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So you're a member of God's family and this is not how our family is, he says. Sexual morality here is actually the word pornea in Greek. It's where we get the word pornography from. And much like in our own culture in Ephesus, sexual morality was tolerated in the surrounding culture. It was a mess. Pornea is a broad word covering any sexual sin. It can refer to incest, promiscuity, sexual relations with a prostitute, illicit sexual relations. It's also figuratively used for idolatry because in the Old Testament 
um, scholars tell us the image of Yahweh was as the husband of the people of God. So if you were committing idolatry, you were having an affair. Pleonixia was or greed is the desire for more, and that considers is considered to be the motivator of other sins. Scholar tell, scholars tells us doesn't surprise you, right? Desire takes the place of God, as one scholar put it, and so desire determines our life direction rather than the Father. Self-centeredness that's behind a sexually indulgent life. And self-centeredness that's behind greed is the opposite of God-centeredness and self-sacrifice. Well, you understand this, I'm sure. Paul says, not only don't do this, he says, don't even talk about doing this. There must not even be a hint, he says, of this. You get the sense in Ephesus there was somebody misleading them. You know, we're, we're, we're reading between the lines and thinking, oh, boy. They must have had some issues in Ephesus. You know, that never has changed. It seems like there's always been issues with the church. And Paul's dealing with them here, head on. He goes on to say, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. The coarse joking here uh, could mean like a double entendre. So if you hear something that's meant for good and you turn, turn it into something bad. So now we're in the realm of words, like we were last week with, with Jim's sermon. Another scholar says this is about a dirty mind expressing itself in vulgar conversation. Now here Paul turns again and he has a little positive, positive point to make in verse 4. He says, instead, have thanksgiving. So instead of, instead of being obscene or foolish talk or coarse joking, he says, give thanks. And that's something, that's a little practical tip you can try sometime. If you're feeling like you're going negative in your mind towards somebody or some situation, turn and just give thanks for something. And sort of steer your mind in that direction of thankfulness. Name what you're thankful for. And there are times in life when thankfulness feels like a foreign language. You don't feel like, you don't feel like being thankful at that time. But just as the Holy Spirit gave the gift of languages at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit will give you and me the gift of thankfulness when we need it. That's what the Spirit does. So after that brief little practical tidbit, he turns back to the negative again. Paul doesn't pull any punches here. He's real honest with us. Verse 5, for this, for this you can be sure, and here's a dire warning, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such man or woman as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God of kingdom of Christ and God. Whew. Warning, big warning. You may have heard the story of the guy who had a pet chimp named Mo. He went and he had him for years and they, they put him in a, like an animal sanctuary rescue hospital. And one day in 2005, this guy and his wife went to celebrate mow the chimp's birthday and it was all going well until suddenly there were a couple other chimps that escaped and attacked this guy and his wife and Mo didn't do anything Mo was their friend he just backed off and and this husband and his wife were viciously attacked he he pushed his wife out of the way and the husband was severely injured he only survived after 60 surgeries terrible 
Again, their own ship, Mo, had nothing to do with it. It was these other ones that didn't know the man that mauled him. And I suppose it would be easy if you had a successful relationship with one chimp that stayed under control and was not a problem. It would be all too easy to turn your back on other chimps that were nearby, all too easy to forget how dangerous these animals could be, all too easy to forget what might be at stake by putting yourself in this sort of setting. Rather than being, rather than being situationally aware and appropriately cautious, you let your guard down. Well, I'm not comparing us to chimps directly, okay? Obviously, we are God's crown of God's creation. But let's talk about the sin nature. I think that's a comparison that works. Sin is like that. It is unpredictable. As people who struggle with sin and strive toward holiness, we live on that edge of the tame and the wild. And Paul is warning us to never forget what we're dealing with here. It is a dire warning. The chimp attack occurred at what's called a wildlife rescue center. I suppose it's all about what parts of the words you stress in that title, right? Wildlife rescue center or wildlife rescue center, right? Keeping all the parts of the title in mind leads you to a combination of tenderness and vigilance. Same goes. Same goes for us and church. We are redeemed sinners. Redeemed sinners or redeemed sinners. We are made new and we're also dangerous. Now, of course, the biggest headline, the banner headline in all of that is God loves sinners. That's the headline at the top of the newspaper. That's the good news of the headline of the gospel. First and foremost, it's God's love for sinners that this is all about. But look, under the banner headline, there are stories that make, even make the front page about when sin goes wrong and gets ravenous even among God's people. And there's always that police blotter on page six, you know, if you're going to use the paper analogy. We have struggles. And that's clear here in the church at, in Ephesus. They were sinners saved by grace and God was at work with them. But so was the sin nature, ravenous and vicious. And Paul goes there and addresses it. Paul warns us here that we got to remember what we're dealing with and what the consequences can be. For this you can be sure, verse 5, no immoral or impure or greedy person, such man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. What's in view here are unrepentant, shameless lives of sin, habitual, unrepentant sin. Paul's not talking about if you struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin. Paul himself struggles with sin in Romans 7. What Paul has in view here is not merely struggle. Paul is referring to those who give themselves to sin without shame, without repentance as a way of life. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. Those who are disobedient, again, refers to the habitual offender who is unrepentant, and the whole thing about being partners with them is not just associating with them. It's sort of like getting into a car with them. You know, don't share a car with a drug dealer. Don't share an office with somebody you know who is unethical. Don't get in a dating relationship with somebody who doesn't share your sexual morals. You get what we mean. We're called to be salt of the earth. Doesn't mean we have to get in the car, share an office, go into business, or have a relationship, an intimate relationship with someone who doesn't share our values. Verse 7. 
Paul warns us that because of such things, God's wrath is coming. And then, verse 8, he comes back. For you were once darkness, but now, here's the hope, you are the light of the world. So live like that. So now he comes back to remembering, remember, remember who you are? You are the family of God. And then he says in verse 10, find out what pleases the Lord. Maybe you've had someone say this to you, that they could see that you're different because you're a Christian. They can see some kind of a light in you or a light around you. I believe that. I believe that's what Paul's saying here. When we live as Christians, we stand out. Not that we're perfect, but that we're on a certain road. The flip is also true. When we live in darkness, that shows too. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is the light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is linked to Isaiah the prophet. It's not an exact quote of Isaiah. It's probably based on Isaiah 26 and 60. Thought to be an ancient Christian hymn. It may even be Paul's hymn. But overall, the idea is this. Light not only exposes darkness, it transforms the darkness. Paul is telling his readers, just like he was telling them, remember you're God's family, so stay in the family. Remember, remember whose you are. Imitate what given what the receiving what the Father gives you. Now live that out and imitate it. Now he's reminding them again, you are in the light. Stay in the light. Be people of the light. God's gifts of things and money and stuff are to be enjoyed. God's gift of sexuality is a gift to be enjoyed in marriage between a man and a woman. God's gift of our capacity for language is a grace to be enjoyed in relationships between us and God. But our desire and our enjoyment of stuff, our sexuality, our language, they are no mere harmless pets that can simply be domesticated. They can turn on us, turn in us. And they can get ravenous and vicious. And as people of the light, we got to stay in the light. Sometimes asking yourself a question is a good way to shine light on something. My wife and I were talking about sin and struggle recently, and we were talking about how sometimes we can give yourself, you can give yourself just a little too much permission because you can presume the grace of God. And we believe in the grace of God, and the grace of God does cover all of our sins, past, present, and future. But that covering of our sins... Does not, is not the same as permission to sin, right? Is there any area of our lives, we each, should, we each need to ask ourselves in light of this passage, is there any area in our lives where we take God's grace for sin and turn it into permission to sin, even in subtle ways? Is there any area in your life, in my life, we have to ask ourselves, where we take God's grace for sin and allow it to give us permission to sin, even in subtle ways. That's a question that can be like a light that we can shine on ourselves as people who remain in the light. That's a question we can ask under the banner of people loved by our Father, who's not up there wagging his finger and saying, You're not, you can't come in the house because you're dirty. He says, no, come on in and let me help, let me help wipe you down. As the old hymn goes, he's still working on me. He's still working on me. It took him six days to make the world, but he's still working on me. May it be so for you and for me too. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.